0: Hello, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in our favorite video games. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore focused folks from Blizzard Watch. And I've got my stupendous co host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm fine. Ah. Uh... Well, that's good. It's better than any alternative. So today we are going to be answering more of your questions out there. Uh, so if you have questions for this show or any of the other shows that we do, which includes the Blizzard Watch podcast and Tavern Watch, our tabletop podcast, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. If email's not your thing, you can go ahead and submit them to our Discord. Uh, we have a channel set aside specifically for Patreon supporters as a way of saying thank you for supporting us and allowing us to enable. The content that we uh, like to produce here, and if you don't support us on Patreon or can't, we understand. Uh, times are tough, we understand. But there's a separate channel for uh, Q and podcast questions. You can also put them in there. We do look there and uh, try to grab as many as we can uh, to make sure that we have a good smattering of questions. We just ask that you specify which show it's for. Otherwise, Matt and I have to thumb wrestle, and he's got a larger hand than I do, so he generally wins. Plus my freakishly mutated thumb with extra knuckles. It's, I mean that, and it's, it's, it's weird, folks. Like, don't, don't question it.
1: In, in all sincerity, and I, I know this is a lore podcast and not a paleontology one, but if you ever look at a Guanodon, their front limbs, the uh, front hand, for lack of a better word, has the the thumb is a spike, obviously. Then the three main fingers are shortened and compressed for walking on, but the thumb is actually this the pinky of this hand it be, has become kind of a thumb with like six knuckles huh. and it is extremely prehensile was extremely prehensile there are no iguanodons currently alive i promise that would make, i'm not hiding any
0: i, I wish you know i, I kind of wish we, we would went that it. way evolutionary because that would have made playing the guitar a whole lot easier
1: <laughs> maybe i don't know man i don't think the did a lot of guitar playing but you know again we never know we
0: weren't we weren't yeah. there All right. Well, our first question today comes from Gavlin, a dwarf paladin uh, still meditating beneath Light's Hope Chapel. Wow. Chapel, not chapter. I have no clue where that came from, folks. It's been a weird Sunday at the time of this recording. Um, So... Galvin says, I haven't played World of Warcraft since Cataclysm, except for dipping my feet back in for Legion. There are a number of reasons why, but I still love and stay as current as I can with the story. Lorewatch is a crucial help in that regard. Well, we are glad to be of that service for you. Uh, but the question is, what games have stories that you love and stay current with, even if you don't play? Non-Blizzard games included. Um For those of you at home that don't listen to the Blizzard Watch podcast, we all play a ton of video games. I know this is probably a wild shock to you, um, but we do tend to play a lot of them, and I think I tend to gravitate towards story-driven games a lot. I think Matt does as well, Uh, so I guess I'll turn it over to Matt first. Is there a game that maybe you don't play as much uh, now, but you still keep up with on current lore or story or anything like that? I mean,
1: this is one of those ones where we could just keep going. Like, I could probably keep pulling ones out. The thing is, is that I did play most of them, but I don't currently. Um, or I didn't play a game in the series, but I am up on the lore of it. For example, the Divinity games, I've played two of them. Okay. Uh, but I'm relatively up to date with what's going on with Lucian and his kid Damien and the whole you know, the God King from Divinity 2 and how that was brand new and nobody had ever heard of it before even though other games in the series actually take place after Divinity 2 um, if you want a a, a game series that will make you think the Elder Scrolls is reasonable and and logical (laughs) the Divinity series is for you because man, they just they put those games out in all kinds of weird order, um so yeah, there's games of the Divinity series that take place like fifteen hundred years after games that came before them. Um, yeah, it, it is it is wild. It is a ride keeping up on the Divinity series. Um, I would also then the Elder Scrolls game. There's another one I've played like a, a few of them. I played Morrowind. Uh, I played Skyrim. I didn't play Oblivion, but I am I kept up on what was going on. I don't play the Elder Scrolls Online just because I can't do another MMO, but I do keep up on what's going on there. They're currently like doing their oblivion event which is like some 700 something years before oblivion the game. Uh so so yeah, the Elder Scrolls are are they're trying to keep their th- their title but man, the Divinity games they they bring it. Those two those two franchises together will confuse you. Um I mean, I I played all the Fallout games except 76, but I I do keep up on the lore there. Um hmm they just there's a lot of these like I could I could say I'm I'm sitting here thinking about lately I've been playing a lot of games so it's like it's hard to say I don't keep up with the lore on them one game I've keep up on the lore of despite having never been able to play it is Overwatch yeah I love the lore of Overwatch I'd love to, for them to put out an Overwatch game I can play but I can't play Overwatch because I get motion sick like to to hell and gone trying to play that game. If I don't get a massive splitting migraine headache within five minutes of trying to play it, I'm probably keeping my eyes closed, (laughs) Uh, which is like you know not very helpful in in a team shooter match when one guy in your in your game is literally looking at the ground the whole time and hoping you know. I mean maybe if you play a healer, but even then in Overwatch, uh, like the healers have to kind of. There's a lot of having to get into range and pay attention to what you're doing in Overwatch. And it's just, for whatever reason, whatever they're doing makes me real sick. Um, so I've never played it. I've wanted to. I've tried, but I've never been able to. But I love like this whole story thing, the Omnic Crisis, what's going on. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how they're going to explain the Cole Cassidy thing in lore. It feels like they've set up some stuff for it uh, in the announcement, but they haven't really gone into specifics yet. Um, so I am interested in seeing how that pays out. And, and of course I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with overwatch two. I'm hoping that overwatch two has a a single player mode Mm -hmm. so I can play it and, you know, at least get some of the story. I think that would be really cool. Um, but we'll see what happens. Uh, there's a ton more, but I'm going to stop now so you can talk.
0: Yeah. There's a a ton of them for me as well, because honestly, uh, I tend to gravitate towards not just story driven games, but games that really invest in their atmosphere and um, sort of like they they kind of have like the pillars of game. eternity pillars of eternity is another one. Yes.
1: Sorry, I, I played the first <laughs> pillars of eternity and I didn't play the second just because I don't know what happened like I didn't have the money at the time and then it just it came and went really fast. And there was other stuff out there, but I've like, I've watched tons of lore videos to keep up on the lore of it because I'm, I'm first off, cause it's cause the new game's coming out. Um, I don't know if you know that they're making a, like a, a single player RPG mm-hmm. in that setting. So that's coming out and, uh, yeah, uh, right there. That's that's
0: another one. Sorry, I'll shut up now. That's okay. One that I actually keep gravitating back towards uh, that I don't play nearly as much as I used to, but I still kind of keep up on where the story is because I find it absolutely fascinating uh, is Destiny and Destiny 2. So it's one of those things where Destiny originally started as a game that all of its story was being told like through grimoire entries. And with Destiny 2, they sort of took a whole different approach to it and actually started injecting story Into the game so that you could actually, I don't know, play the game and understand like a progressive story that's going on. And that's one of the things I like about it is it is a progressive story from the time you we first installed it uh, to moving on all the way through to the current stuff to getting ready for the next content patch. That's or the next content expansion that's going to be coming down in February. And it is surprisingly rich in the storytelling, especially now, and they seem to be doubling down on it. And I really enjoy the story of it because it is sort of this post-apocalyptic space opera-y, uh, weird, like, pseudo cyberpunky magic of the universe type story, but it does it in a unique way that I think is very, very fun. It's just one of those ones that I I keep gravitating back towards. Um, The other one that I really like, and this is going to sound maybe a little bit strange to some folks, is the Batman Arkham series. And the Batman Arkham series is very much its own thing. Um, It takes a lot of cues from all the other Batman media out there, but it is very much its own universe. It's very much its own story, and it's very much its own take on those particular types of characters. And now with the new one coming out soon that is supposed to be a spiritual successor in it, which is the, um, I believe it is the Gotham Knights storyline... Uh, that is, it's sort of got me back replaying through the games and finding out a bunch of the entries and, and, and story of those games to remember the things that I've forgotten. Uh, and it's also a game that rewarded you for yes, playing the story and finding everything like through actual gameplay, but then all of the collectibles and everything else in the game also gave things like audio logs or, uh, character files or things that you would particularly associate with like Batman having dossiers on people. Like you could actually go deeper into it. And it was very, very unique and fun. Uh, That's for video games. I could keep going on, but I will go to uh, the tabletop side of things as well, because these are huge games that sort of have spanned decades in my life. Um, And I'm going to cheat a little bit. (laughs) So first is Warhammer 40 K. Warhammer 40 K is, or 40,000, depending on what part of the world you are in, uh is a game that love it or hate it it's been around for a very very long time uh to the fact that there's a horror, the one of the pivotal moments the horse heresy is uh i think 56 novels deep at this point but i like, still keep up on it i've been keeping up on the lore of it because it's a weird and wacky grim dark world where like it, it's Sometimes it's brutal for the sake of being brutal and sometimes it's just like little happy uh, tiny plague demons that decide that they're going to dance around like tiny gestures uh, and it gets a little bit on the odd side sometimes, but I keep up with it even if I don't, you know, if I take a break or I don't play for a while that's one of those things where like I kind of know where the current story is happening I know what's going on with it and they've also recently started getting to this point where they're trying to advance the story that was largely uh starting to get stagnant for a, a little while so they're trying to do something different and keep up with it but it's it's just got tons and tons of gobs of lore and story behind it. um and the other one is the Warhammer fantasy side of things uh when I mean Warhammer fantasy I mean the old school like fantasy battles game which was originally rooted and and deep into an art like a tabletop RPG that became a war game that then kept with that story all the way through until the end of their universe in the rebirth into age of Sigmar. Uh, it's another one where the story keeps progressing and it keeps getting weirder and more fun, but those are, those are just a handful of games. Like Matt said, we could sit here for hours and talk about all the games that we play that are, are lore driven, that we absolutely love. Um, like, I could go on about the Alan Wake series and the Alan Wake universe that they, they seem to be setting up with the release of Control and all the, the DLC that Control put out. Um, Mac, I'm sure, could talk about how much you love Cyberpunk 2077. And
1: Actually, uh, since you brought up uh, Tabletop, I have
0: to jump back in. Sure, go for it. No, no, there's no unfortunate um, so about for, it, please. First
1: off, though, before I talk about Tabletop, there's one more computer game that I actually care- I like the lore about it quite a lot. It's Anthem. And here's the thing about Anthem. Anthem could have been Bioware's biggest hit if they hadn't made it a Destiny clone. If they'd actually made a single-player RPG with that story where we played the game and got that story, instead of having talking heads talk to you about it, mm-hmm. uh, people would have loved it, and it would have done amazing. Uh, and the the this is one I very rarely do do this. Other people do this much more. Other people are much more about the their anti-microtransactions, anti-games-as-a-service. I, I do not have strong feelings about it. But Anthem is an example of a game that was absolutely ruined by trying to make it something that it should not have been. Uh, trying to make it a microtransaction-driven games-as-a-service game when it clearly should have been a single-player RPG. Uh, first off, you don't have BioWare trying to make you know, this like some game companies can do every genre. Other game companies are really good at one or two genres. Mm-hmm. Don't force the latter to try and be the former. It's not going to work and it didn't work for Anthem. Anthem is not a terrible game. It's not an awful game. It's not nearly deserving of the hate it gets, but it is not what it could have been. It is not a really good game with a really good engaging story because it doesn't have a story because of how it was designed. Mm -hmm. And that's a real shame because the the idea of this song of creation in this world that they were building was really fascinating. And I was looking forward to getting to know it, except that I never do. You never get to know it. You never get any of it. You just, you, you, you hang around in a hub city, you go out to do some missions, you come back to the hub city. There's no questing. There's no way. I mean, there's questing, but it's, it's not like, it's not like an RPG where you go explore the world. There are big maps in the world and there's, you know, there is the, the flight element when you were flying in that game. It is amazing. It is one of the coolest things that mechanic, which they came up with last minute is just brilliant. It is something I don't think any other game of its type does. And it's, it's like, it is one person I knew pointed out. It's like, it's your Iron Man fantasy absolutely will be realized here, but it just, it doesn't have the presentation of the story that you need. You don't get invested because you never experience any of this. Think Mm -hmm. about, I'm going to use one example from a Bioware game. Think about Knights of the Old Republic. There's a moment in Knights of the Old Republic, and I'm not going to spoil it, even though the game's been out for like a decade now, um, more than a decade. I think it came out in like 2006. It's been a while. No, no, no. 2000. No, even earlier, because I, my, my wife and I were not married yet when she came down to see me. But anyway, in that game, there is a moment where you find out a fact that changes the whole game.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it is it is worthy of an M. Night Shyamalan movie, except back when he was good. And at no time can Anthem even, uh, even pretend to offer you that because it, it's. Go look at Jade Empire, where, you, you know, again, there's a moment where you find out a fact, and it, the fact has been hanging there in the game the whole time. This one I'm going to spoil, because not enough people have played Jade Empire, so really. There's a moment where your teacher reveals that he designed you, he taught you a style that has a deliberate flaw in it that he could exploit at a key moment, and he does so, and he kills you. And you're saved because of stuff that's going on in the game, but it's still this great moment where, because people kept pointing out that every people kept saying your style is weird. I keep looking for this like flaw, but I can't find it. And finally, you get, you confront your master, who's like, yes, and, and he he strikes you down using that flaw. And it's it's an amazing moment that Anthem can't give you because Anthem doesn't ever gives you the story this way. The Anthem just gives you data pad. It's the same problem that I think Fallout 76 had. Yeah, when the, when the when entire it first lore, released, yeah, yeah, when the entire lore of the game is is just through data entries and there's never a story actually happening, it it hobbles the games. So I I feel really bad for Anthem. Anthem will get no further development. There will be no more Anthem, and I feel like it's a complete waste because that was a really it good had, idea.
0: It had huge potential.
1: Yeah, and it just didn't get it. Now that I've ranted about that for like five minutes, uh, the actual thing I wanted to talk about to you was. There are several games. I'm not going to like list much about them, but I'm just going to to rattle them off. First one, uh, Cyber Generation. Cyber Generation is the pen and paper game of the kids from the original. Like It's like if you take Cyberpunk, the the game that was now Cyberpunk Red and and was for the long time, Cyberpunk 2020, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Cyberpunk, Cyber Generation was the game about the kids of those people. Like, what do you do? if it's now 20 or so years in the future from then and things are even worse, what do you do? What are these kids doing? How do they live their lives? What are they like? And it was, it's basically like, it's very anime influenced. It's very much like an anime, but it's also somewhat like a superhero novel, like superhero kids shows. Like think about shows like young justice that have come out since young justice would work really well as, as an inspiration for a cyber generation campaign. And it's got a lot of lore. It's a, it's got a lot of heart because it's, the opposite of Cyberpunk, which is like everything is effed and we're just orbiting the drain. Cyber Generation was like, no, we are not letting you drag us into the toilet with you. We are going to fix this because it has to be fixed. And it, it was really interesting. It, our Telsorian Games is is very strange studio. Um, not badly strange, but these are the guys who came up with Falconstein. <laughs> you know? they, they make interesting kind of games nobody else could make. Mm. I don't know how else to put it. They just... They're very personal, very personalized. And I think Cyber Generation was just their best Cyberpunk game. Uh, to this day, I think this. And when I started hearing, when you play Cyberpunk 2077, and there's references to the carbon plague from Cyber Generation in the game, on um, you know, I'm like, Aah! I'm like the only person probably who's just squealing the whole time. Uh, next up, Talos Lanta. I love Talos Lanta because it is so unabashedly goofy and does not care. It doesn't care that it is... Ridiculous! It doesn't care that it is never going to be popular. It's never going to be D and D, but it's at the same time it takes itself seriously in its goofiness. It takes what it's doing seriously. Uh, it's the product of Stephen Michael Secchi, first and foremost. It, other people have worked on it, but it it's his baby. He he came up with it originally. He's been working on it for decades. Um, it, it knows that it's never going to be even like the third biggest RPG, but at the same time it's not like a fatal. Uh, it didn't. It didn't turn into horribleness. It's just its own unique, weird thing with like hundreds of playable races. Uh, it. It. They used to. They used to advertise it in Dragon magazine back in the day. Back in like the late '80s, early '90s, they would advertise it in Dragon magazine as like with stuff like no elves. Like that's the whole selling point. There's no elves in this. It's like it's a fantasy game, but it's it's bizarre. Uh, and it's not as it's not as hard to get into as stuff like Empire of the Pedal Throne, where you have to learn a foreign language uh, that he invented. So, it's, it's got that going for it. Um, there's Exalted, which I love. I absolutely love Exalted. Um, it's basically, I said before that Cyber Generation was kind of like anime. Uh, Exalted is like if you read a bunch of Tanith Lee books and decided and like binge watched Escaflaune and decided to make a game out of it. That's, it's like, I think it's equal parts Masters of the Universe, uh, Tanith Lee's Knight's Master, and Escalcone. Like Those three, those, that's the game. Uh, where you basically play something on the order of a demigod trying to fix a world that is broken by the curse of the titans that were overthrown by the gods, using using Exalted to do it. So it's, it's a fascinating game to me. Uh, it's one of my favorites. Uh, Brave New World, one of the most unique superhero games I've ever played. Uh, if you've never played Brave New World, uh, I, I recommend it. It started out as a pinnacle game. I think it actually started out as uh, the Deadlands people,
0: didn't it? Uh, I think so, yeah.
1: <laughs> and then Matt Forbeck took it to other places because mm-hmm. of falling out because uh well Shane Hensley has a tendency to upset people um so yeah it it's it's now its own thing. it hasn't actually been been maintained or had anything done with it, but every so often Matt Forbeck says he's going to and and I get excited and then it doesn't happen, and I get sad uh so there's that I know there's one more um oh fading suns. Fading Suns is another one that hasn't really gotten any development in a while. I'm just going to say it's, a, it's like 6,000 years in the future and the stars are going out. That's the game. Uh, it is really weird and really fun and really interesting that's going to be it. I'm going to stop now because we are,
0: (laughs) we have to move on.
1: Yeah. We are like almost 20 (laughs) minutes into the show.
0: We, we could, we could keep going. There's a lot of, this could be
1: the show. If we, if we had really wanted to, this could be the show, but we're going to actually answer more questions.
0: Yeah, we will. And I just wanted to say that there are a lot of games out there that, I mean, that bring us comfort and that have really good stories and that we get, kind of get sucked into Jovian Chronicles, Jovian Chronicles, Legend of Zelda. Uh, there we could go on. And it's one of those things where Gears. <laughs> Joe, please take us to another question. I'm I can't trying. stop. <laughs> but I, if you have something out there that you are really into that isn't necessarily like a Blizzard game, even if it is a Blizzard game, I'd love to hear from you. Let me know what your game is that you love to keep up on, that the story really resonates with you. Uh, go ahead and send it. Tweet it at me. I'd love to hear it. Honestly. Uh, our next question comes from Centeroth. Uh, Roth. Lorewatch question. Who is the NPC that you trust the least? And why is it Lady Moonberry? Follow question. Why is she also the best NPC? Uh, Honestly, I trust Lady Moonberry because she's just a kid that wants to have fun, basically. Like, that's easy to deal with. I don't think she's up to any nefarious anything. I think that her jokes are just like uh, more of a, an effect of... I'm gonna play this prank wide, but I have like almost nearly limitless power because I am in the right hand of the one that owns the realm that I live in. Uh so maybe I don't understand my own strength. And then she just goes and does stuff anyway because that's just the way she thinks. It's literally like if you were to give a kid godlike power and just set them loose, like and I mean like a young kid, and like they don't understand necessarily always the consequences of their action. But also, when things get really, really bad, and we've seen this recently with Lady Moonberry, when she gets, like, with the assaults, she's there. She's present. And it's not just, like, with just the Ardenwald assaults. She's there in the other assaults lending a hand because she can. So I totally trust her because she's a known quantity. Um, I don't know who I trust the least um, because I haven't really interacted with a whole lot of other NPCs on my own personal time in Shadowlands yet. But I... would. Have to say that like Revendreth gives me the most cause for just concern, just because I think it's one of those situations where you still don't know who's still lo- loyal to Denathrius or who it happens to still be a dreadlord lord, because that was a whole thing of the last story we just went through, which is hey half of these NPCs that we really trust like the Stonewright, uh oh yeah by the way the Stonewright happens to be a uh uh or the no no that's the stonewright. right the the, the roll that the stone right was talking to that was you were trying to find the stone right with turns out to be a dreadlord well uh, like there's a lot of that going on and it feels like it happens more in revendreth right now than any of the other ones but i can't call out a specific npc that i would trust the least how about you is there one that you've encountered uh or maybe yep. at any point that you just can't trust yep go for it
1: i'm gonna tell a story back in the dawn of world of warcraft uh there was an NPC I saw quite frequently. Uh, didn't do much, uh, but was there a lot when stuff would happen. As time progressed, that NPC kept doing things. Uh, they had a pretty big role in Miss Pandaria and caused me a lot of grief and made my life a lot harder because they wouldn't stop and think and consider the consequences of their actions. Cut to um, Legion, and suddenly that NPC is front and center, uh, thrust into the spotlight as it were, but doesn't do a lot. Not 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 actually all that present. And then Battle for Azeroth, while that that NPC is in charge of everything, my faction gets completely spanked. Uh, my my home my my character's homeland gets burned to the ground. They don't want to do anything about it. My character's people mount an attack to try and regain their territory. They doesn't want to do anything about it. The person I'm talking about is Anduin Wrynn. Okay. I don't think Anduin and Rin is malevolent or malicious, but I absolutely never trust him to do the right thing because he never does. He hasn't yet to do the right thing in the almost 20 years of World of Warcraft's experience. And while I was forgiving of it when he was a child, because what, what did I expect him to do? He was like 10 and there's a Nixia right there messing with everyone's heads. Was he supposed to take her out? He was 10. He's not 10 anymore. And he has done either nothing or the worst possible thing every time he makes a decision. Every time Anduin Rin makes a decision for himself and doesn't listen to other people, things get worse. And I am, you know, his track record in Battle for Azeroth was so bad that when he was under the effect influence of Nazoth, he was making better decisions than when he wasn't. So, yeah, I don't trust Anduin Ren at all. And this is before he got turned into a meat puppet for, like, you know... um, I don't know what you want to call that relationship with Zoval there. But th- even before that, I-, I was like, oh, God, every time Anduin showed up, I would like put my hand on my face and be like, I can't wait to hear this one. So, yeah, Anduin Ren. Don't trust him. This is not saying I don't like him. I think he's an extremely likable person. I think he's very nice. Um, he's kind. He'd be a great high priest. He is a terrible king. Yeah he is very very bad at kinging. He does not understand how to do it. He does not like the necessities of it. He does not accept the necessities of it. He is the guy who decides he can he can tell Sorfang that Sorfang doesn't know enough about orcs compared to him. And I understand that's not what he was going for, but he it's seriously the way it comes across. To Sorfang's yeah. face, he's trying to tell Sorfang that Sorfang doesn't understand the orcish art. And or and Sorfang quite literally just said, You're ridiculous. you you know, you, boy, you're being ridiculous. This is this is what we have done. It doesn't matter who we think we are. It matters what we do. And and I think that that is a lesson Anduin needs to learn post haste. Um, but I do like him. I do think he is a good person, and I do think it's interesting watching him try. But yeah, strictly as my character wandering around World of Warcraft, every time Anduin Rin comes into the picture, I'm like, oh, this is going to be good.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and, and to make sure everybody is clear on it, it's not because you know Anduin Rin is a bad person or anything like that. It's like because that Anduin
1: Rin is a good person.
0: He's a good person who tries to it, do things for his own way a lot of the time. And it, it smacks a lot of like a young person because in a lot of ways he is still a child. And he's
1: like barely 20, I think at this he, point I think he's a, even
0: 20. I think he's 20. I think he's, a little, I can't remember his exact age, but he's, he's functionally an adult age wise, but he never really, he never really got to grow up. And that causes a lot of problems, especially when his father dies and he is forced to rule essentially by himself and then looks at, People like Gen Greymane, who Gen may have the experience, but he has a, a, a known temper. He's a, a a person that is looked at as being consumed by his uh, I don't want to say aggression, but like driven by what he. Perceives as his his necessary goal. And What's
1: really funny about that too, and so
0: he gets discounted because of it is what I was trying yeah, to say. But yeah, you
1: know, and, and I'm agreeing with you. Um, I think that's one of the interesting things about Gen is that Gen in game is actually significantly more level headed, level headed than he is portrayed as both yep. by us fans and is just in general because Gen understands the cost of things.
0: He's been a, a king that, for a long time,
1: and he is effed up. I mean, let's be, f- be clear here. Gen Greymane's track record is not great. No, he has he, he has made some huge mistakes. He got his own people to rebel against him. Um, so there's there's a lot to be said that Anduin has every right to question Gen and the other people that he questions. The problem is simply that Anduin simply does not grasp the consequences of his actions yet. Yes. He, he knows his actions have consequences. He wants to do the right thing. You know what it reminds me of? Uh, you've seen the, um, the the Star Trek: The Next Generation, not Star Trek: next Generation, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine episode and the Pale Moonlight.
0: Yep. yep, 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 yep.
1: Look at Cisco in that episode. That episode is basically showing a good man, a good person who wants to do the right thing by his people. And finds himself step by step moved by Garrick, really, mm-hmm. into into a worse and worse position morally, but one that gets him what he wants. Anduin has never had that, and I'm not saying he should. Again, when I say that it's that, that I don't trust him, I don't mean that I don't trust him because he's a bad person or I don't like him. I I don't trust him entirely because he is a good quest person who hasn't been seasoned yet. I think he's getting there. I think he started to get it in Battle for Azeroth. And obviously, whatever comes out of this experience, I'm I'm interested to see what happens. But he isn't there yet. And that's why Sylvanas always knew, I can play this kid. Because he just wasn't ready to go up against her. You know, very few people are ready to go up against Sylvanas. He was not one of them. It would have been better for everybody if Taronda had been put in charge of the opposing Sylvanas thing. Because so, Taronda had experience and anger, and he didn't have either. Um, I, I and mean, that's I de- a problem.
0: I definitely tend to agree. On the same vein, another NPC that I think falls into a similar category, at least, and this is going to sound maybe a little bit strange, but Malfurion kind of slots into a lot of that. Absolutely,
1: for me as a way. you are you are absolutely correct. <laughs> Malfurion Stormage should never be in charge of a military
0: operation. He should. He he's should be- he, he should be a druid, and that should be what he does
1: he i'm i'm totally willing to say that malfurion should be in charge of the Scenarian circle and yeah. new new angry malfurion yeah okay let let him cut loose with his power cuz he is ridiculously powerful but he is not good at making decisions like if you look at like his his whole idea of neutrality has not worked nope his people have gotten firebombed for it and he's still like for for all that they were nuts the druids of the flame had a point you know, uh, I can't remember her name, unfortunately. She's one of my favorite characters. Leasa? Leara? Leara. Yeah, Leara. Leara had a point. You know, it was entirely because Malfurion sat on his butt and slept his way through most of the time that they were having troubles. And then when he comes back, he just sits there and, and you know, he doesn't do anything while the Horde is literally firebombing Estranar. You know, that's why her daughter died. You know, there's... a Fandral Staghane was one of the biggest jerks in World of Warcraft, but he had a point about Malfurion. Yeah. Although he says it like Tyron does at fault, I and mean, it really isn't Tyrande's fault at all. She's left holding the bag because Malfurion's napping most of the time. Uh, but when he is around, Malfurion is just a completely terrible leader. Um, and I say this as somebody who likes Malfurion. Most people hate him. Like Most people I talk to are like totally against Malfurion. I like him. I think he's a cool character. I think he's interesting and fun, but he's not a leader. No, least not that kind of leader. He's a teacher.
0: Yes. Yeah. And that's, and that's what I was, and that's what I really wanted to like kind of drive home, like, and why I don't really necessarily trust him is because the way he approaches things is much in that same, I don't want to say like idyllic way that like Anduin almost does up until recently and up until like the events that have caused him to sort of turn into rage druid, which is fine. And I think it's a good character like development for him. But even in that, I don't know if I still trust him because he tends to be a very emotional leader, right? He tends to be very, yeah, like you, yeah. like you said, he's a teacher. He doesn't and he doesn't necessarily think about the cost of what he's doing. Okay, just that. Look
1: at you. Look at everything he does in Legion. Yes. Like in Legion, he repeatedly just runs off to try and fix everything and solve every problem by himself. He tries to go off after uh, Scenarios. He tries to go off after you know. The, the whole thing with Yaera is partially his fault, yeah, because he's not capable of like controlling his emotions. like he's lived all this time and yet he hasn't lived as much as in a very real way. Taranda married Malfurion and they were both the same age. She has lived through the past ten thousand years and he has not. He is much younger than her emotionally right now. yeah. and as a result, Like, Deronda, I need you. She doesn't do that. When she's presented with a choice between saving Malfurion and saving Ysera and her people, she picks Ysera. Because she knows Malfurion's a big boy, he can take care of himself, and between the two of them this is more important I, I have to pick my people she also understands
0: she understands the concept of sacrifice to a certain point as well yeah, whereas absolutely. Malfurion tends to swing more towards the selfish spectrum like at least in the way yeah. that he's presented right like he's always yeah, a absolutely. little more a little more self-focused no
1: you're totally right um if anything yeah you if you you might be underselling it because he does like think about the whole time when he refused to to, to discuss the pack form because the time he used it he couldn't control it and so he decides for everybody else they can't use it, and because of that, they several of them died because there was no attempt to teach them how to use it properly and It's just Malfurion has a lot of problems uh and I think it's in fact it's it's very much because Malfurion is a storm rage, yeah, and people don't really ever think about this. their naming Not is only,
0: very literal,
1: yeah, and also. Malfurion and Illidan are a lot more alike than they like to act.
0: They're a lot more alike than most people who are fans of them would like to admit as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. One of the, one of the things that always fascinates me too is that Illidan was the one born with the golden eyes. Illidan was the one born with like the, the expectations of their people. They thought he would be like a, like a huge leader, an important figure, because he had been born with this symbol. The, the last person who had it was, was Shara herself. Mm-hmm. So there was a ton of pressure on Illidan to like step up and be this great leader. But then think about what it's like for Malfurion. Like he's just there. He doesn't have the golden eyes. He doesn't have a special destiny. No one thinks he's gonna save the world. What does he have? And they're both in love with the same girl. When your brother is like supposedly destined for greatness and he loves the same girl as you, what chance do you have? You're not going to get her. There's a lot to their their interplay and their relationship and their personalities that in a lot of ways, Malfurion is that guy who came up and managed to actually achieve all the stuff that nobody thought he could. But the consequence of that is he has a lot of, you know, un- he's very imperious,
0: Mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. thinks if
1: he tells you something you should just do it like i said he's a teacher he's a good teacher he's not a good leader he's not good at delegating he always thinks that the solution to any problem is he should run over and take care of it himself that is not how you lead a people um it's just yeah there's you're just so right about malfurion i think he he and, and anduin have a lot in common but at anduin has the excuse of still being relatively young and yeah. malfurion doesn't really have that ex- that excuse
0: no, he I mean he really doesn't, especially at this point. But I mean it, it's just it's why I wouldn't trust him because I don't think he has sound judgment is really what it on yeah, the same that's, as Andrew
1: That's would. a that's a really good one. I I straight up I, I really think you've nailed it a head on the head there. Nail on the head, sorry.
0: <laughs> uh, but this does you know. lead this does bleed into our next question, which also has a uh, a little bit of, of questioning about Lady Moonberry. And this one comes from Ayuna of the Wild Man, uh, who is on Sisters of a Loon. Uh, I remain convinced, resolutely down to my hooves, that Lady Moonberry was a villain in a pre-ardenweld existence. To my eyes, her penchant for trickery could only suggest a lifetime of dissembling and under er, yeah dissembling and underhandedness, however minor. What could this sneaky night phase past crimes have been? See, that people keep saying this, but I don't know if it's necessarily true.
1: No, the- it, it because it, the thing is is that you have to look at it from the perspective of what Lady Moonbay is. Blueberry, sorry, She is essentially a fair folk.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's, she she is the epitome of like the classic story fairy folk.
1: Yeah. She's, she is, you know, if you think about the winter queen's court, she is a member of it. She is the, the, she's trusted enough by the winter queen that she's essentially the major domo. She's the one who does all the, you know, actual work, you know, the winter queen's like, I want this to happen. But it's Lady Moonberry who goes out and makes it happen. So that's actually a good deal of like, for lack of a better word, organization to Lady Moonberry. You know, uh, maybe it, it's it's presented in a flighty, uh, fun way, but she is she is the 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 um, the Resputin or the uh, Richelieu here. Yeah, she, she's the doer. Like when you have a a character who is the, taking orders from somebody who is like, I'm too busy to actually attend to all this. I'm too cosmically important. You do it. And that's lady moonberry. She's
0: also, she's also a cosmic opposite to the, the winter queen in a lot of ways as well. That's, yes, absolutely. Because the, the winter queen is a very, oh, you're very, on
1: fire today, man.
0: I, 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 it's one of those rare moments. Um, but If you look at the the Winter Queen, look at her and look how she interacts with everybody. She's very cold, very distant, even in her loving moment, even in her tender moments in the cutscenes that play out when you're going through the Ardenwell campaign. It is still with a cold, calculated, like, this has to happen. She has to be dispassionate because that's what's required of her in order to make sure that souls are reborn properly. You know what she reminds me of? What's that? Uh,
1: The Winter Queen reminds me very much of that one relative we all have who we have no idea how they feel about us Yeah. until one day they sit you down and go, I've always been so proud of you. I, I love you. So, and you're sitting there going, you feel yeah. this way? You know, she doesn't, she doesn't show her heart. She doesn't give you because, you know, as we saw in the, the cinematic, the, tr- the, the opening trailer, she has to be the one to decide who to put down.
0: Yeah. Like this and- is,
1: this is sort of a realm where she has to make those decisions to keep it going. Yeah. She's, and- she is cold and calculating because she has to be.
0: And so she she does what she needs to do by choosing other folks or other representatives to be her mirth, to be her joy. And that is what Lady Moonberry really is in sort of the court of the Winter Queen. She is the exact polar opposite because that's her task. Her task yeah. is to try to bring mirth and joy and levity because that's, that's needed because the queen can't give that. It's very similar. I'm going to go with like Shakespearean here. It's very similar to like her, the way that she reacts to how like Puck acts in *Midsummer Night's Dream*, with mm-hmm. playing jokes and doing it for the sake of levity, being that extreme, uh, like childlike gleefulness. Like there's a the whole thing with turning Bottom's head into a a, a donkey during the the practice of the play. Like there's. In making that like this huge joke of, and I can say this because we get one per, but turning him into an ass. And that is the joke. That isn't the entire thing. But it is a very childish, very disruptive, very uh, terrible thing for Bottom. Moonberry does that same thing with making people lose control or maybe transforming them, maybe doing a little bit of polymorph, but look at the other fairy folk that are of her same type. You have the one, I cannot remember her name now, the one that runs the stage um, that does the, it's a daily event where you go through and relive your memories from the past through Azeroth. She does the same thing in a smaller capacity.
1: Herb- well, this like, remember when you zone into, when you're first doing Ardenweald and you're first following the trail down, there's a cave that you kind of can go into and there's somebody in there screaming for help. Mm-hmm. You get there and they turn into a fairy. Oh and- no, they turn
0: into Boglins, don't they?
1: Yeah. No, you're right. They turn into Boglin. <laughs> but that's the kind of thing that happens in, in this, in the zone. In Amber, in, I want to say Amberweald all the time. <laughs> Ardenweald. Ardenweald. Ardenweald is, yeah. The thing about Ardenweald, people like, you kind of have to remember that, yes, Lady Moonberry is, tri- is a trickster and is Machiavellian. This is the form that a Machiavellian leader takes in a realm of, of you know. Whimsy. Autum- autumnal magic and, you know, whimsy and all that. This is how you get a Machiavelli in that setting. This is how they behave. Yeah, she's tricked. She's a trickster and she's deceptive because everything is deceptive here. Yep. The the, the enemies are deceptive. Deception, the very realm is deceptive. And this is a... Because, you know, you can run into, like, a fox or a squirrel, and that squirrel is as wise as the wisest elder you're ever going to meet back on Azeroth, because in a previous life, they, you know, that might have been Karen Bloodhoof, for all you know. That squirrel on your shoulder might have been Karen Bloodhoof. You don't know. I do love Chufa.
0: Um, but it's, it's also very, very much in line with just classic fairy lore in particular, right? Like anytime you, you talk about like, let's go D and D the fey wilds, there are certain rules that have existed for years because it's based off of world mythology. When you start talking about the Fey creatures, if you don't, you know, basically give them what they want or pay whatever toll they are, they will play tricks on you. There There are, stories about, uh, you know the fairy folk trying to lure children into the forest by calling out as if they were their mothers. The, this stuff is has been around in sort of real world culture for generations at this point, and Lady Moonberry is sort of like the epitome of that given form in game. And yeah. it's it, it, so I don't know. I don't think that she was a criminal.
1: Well, I mean, even if she was, I mean, quite frankly, if she was, she'd probably would have spent some time. In Revendreth, Revendreth before heading yep. off to Ardenweld, because she could have been, you know, had her sins pulled out and then gone to, to Revendreth. I mean, to, to Ardenweld, it's possible. Sure, but I don't, I don't feel like her behavior is sinister in the way that you're suggesting,
0: and, um, and also because of her sense of duty too, right? Like,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Like she has, and that's the other thing that always strikes me about her is watch some of the earlier things with her in Ardenweld when you're interacting with her before you even meet the winter queen and it's she is devoted to ardenwell she is devoted to the winter queen she is much more strikes me as somebody playing a role that has been given to them and dictated of this is what you must do so that we can re, uh, maintain balance more so out of duty than it is a uh, capriciousness if that makes sense so yeah
1: and, and you now certainly it is quite possible for somebody to have that mixture of dutifulness and uh, trickery because of like guilt or over past misdeeds that is possible sure, I'm not telling you that you're that you're wrong because there's no way we can know and I don't want you to feel like we're just shooting down your idea I'm just saying it is not necessary for lady moonberry to be explained in that way and it's quite possible that that she can be both what you're saying and both what what, what Joe is saying these two things are not mutually exclusive but I do think that lady moonberry she, she comes off as a beneficial force to me. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like, yes, she's, trick, she's tricky, but they're all tricky. It's a tricky place. Uh, he mentioned you, know, Robin, you know, Puck, Robin Goodfellow. Um, it goes all the way back to even in, in, in Greek myth, and they didn't actually specifically have fairies the way they, they did in, in later places, but the whole concept was when you were dealing with a supernatural being, You had to be careful.
0: Yep. Extremely careful. You had to choose your words carefully. Choose what deals you made extremely carefully
1: because they, they do not play by your rules. That's the whole point. And I think that that's what lady moonberry is a really good avatar for.
0: I would agree. Uh, But thank you very much for that. I always, I do like talking about lady moonberry. She's one of my, she is one of my favorite recent NPCs because I love how divided people are on her and a much different way than people are divided on NPCs like Sylvanas. Uh, Our next question comes from our good friend Verdigree. Happy Hollow's End, lore watchers. Uh, And it is at the time of this recording, actually Halloween here. Uh, The Darkmoon Fair is on an island of Eternal, or at least week-long night, sending out mystic mages to teleport you to a central point and no longer travel en masse around Azeroth. What could they be doing the rest of the time? Skipping forward in time like Brigadoon, I don't think we're sure Darkmoon Island is even on Azeroth. Maybe the rest of the time they are touring other planets, dimensions, realities. I heard you've been playing some Witchlight. Perhaps there are some similarities. spookily Yours, Vertigree. I actually do think that there is some similarities between Witchlight, the Witchlight Carnival, uh, and the Dark Moon Fair. The Witchlight Carnival has actually existed for a very long time. It's not a new concept. It's been around since I want to say the late 70s. Um it was never fully fleshed out. Um, and if you look even in the eighties, when you have the D- the Dungeons and Dragons cartoons, how do those kids get transported to the, the magical land of Dungeons and Dragons carnival ride? It's a carnival that travels and spans multiple dimensions. So I think there is a lot to it where the dark moon fair, I think because it's existed for as long as the game has been around, really um, it, it's sort of a similar thing. It's almost like its own pocket out of nowhere where You can go to it and you can you can transport there and sort of exist outside of the normalcy of of Azeroth. Um, And I think that's one of the cool things about it. And I think it does harken back to that. Uh, But I don't think we have any in-game confirmation that it is its own pocket dimension uh, or pocket land or realm. But for all we know, it could also be a realm of the Shadowlands. We never know. What do you think, Matt? It's
1: the dream of a sleeping old god.
0: <laughs> there's a lot of old god potential iconography there.
1: Big <laughs> giant eyes everywhere, man. <laughs>
0: giant eyes everywhere. You come, out, you walk in that
1: place, there's giant eyes every freaking where, and nobody's the, suspicious about this.
0: Th- th- that's actually a deep cut from the site, way, 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 way long ago when the Dark Moon Fair was first a thing. And I remember getting into to staff chat when I first got hired onto the site, and I remember talking with like you and, Anne and a bunch of other people about how it had to be related to old gods in some manner. Cause it was too close to being Cthulhu.
1: I'm never letting that go. Big <laughs> giant eyes. It's gotta be an old god.
0: Si- Silo Stark moon is secretly an old God. He's the, he's the missing old God.
1: No, no. Like the place is literally inside the dream of an old God. Like there's an old God somewhere. One of the ones that's sleeping. Um, is dreaming right now, and inside that dream, because we know their dreams can can leech into the Emerald Dream, inside that dream, Silas Darkmoon has built a carnival. And think- he tra- the reason you have to travel in and out via portal is because he took the magical essence he gathered from Azeroth itself when he used to travel between Mulgore and Stormwind, and he built this bastion inside of a sleeping old god's dreams.
0: And the portal does look really similar to the portals that they did use for the Naz'oth portals. Yep. Maybe. Do you think? But do you think Silas existed as a creature naturally to Azeroth, or do you think he's an avatar?
1: I think he's a warlock who has sworn an allegiance to the to, to this particular old god. Maybe sworn an allegiance is not the right word. Maybe exploited it. Okay. Like the old, because the old god is like we we constantly talk about the old gods like they're you know people, but to, to steal from another game, uh, a god is a verb. It exists and the world changes around it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Silas is, is deliberately monkeying with forces way above his weight class, but he's doing so because he is so insignificant to that being that it, it, if it even did discover, it probably wouldn't care because it's just, yeah, so what? Like, it'd be like, if you found out that you have a particularly energetic dust mite in your eyelashes, that's starting a hotel for other dust mites, like, Okay, does this going to affect my life in any way, shape, or form? No. Whatever. Maybe I'll wash my face a little harder tonight. Um, I think that there's this this one of the old gods, possibly one of the ones that we've supposedly quote unquote dealt with, because I you know I don't buy that for a second. Um, maybe one of them is just basically sleeping, and when it's sleeping, it's dreaming because you know that's what they do. And places like Niar- we've been to Nyalotha. Which was an entire city that was basically just a dream of what the world could be like if the old gods ever returned. And there's plenty of other old gods, but one of them is really in the carnivals.
0: What if it's a leftover piece of Yasharaj? Could what be. It, like because we know that Yasharaj like was ripped up, exploded, became the the um what I think uh, of the name? Yeah. The, the Shah, right? Became the seven Shah. We know that his heart was still beating, or its heart was still beating. Um, we know that it was a multifaceted creature of seven heads uh, and then we don't know what happened to the rest of it but pieces of it existed what if this is just a leftover like this island is like to maybe it, it is part of a dream of an old god but what if it's also part of the physical body of an old god because we don't know what happened to the rest of the goo but no, like that's true because there is physical built, pieces they, of old gods right
1: yeah well that's the whole thing when when they they actually went around the world building Titan facilities on top of them. I, I'm pretty sure that Ul'dir might, in fact, be based around chunks of, of, of Yasharaj. It's it's possible that it is that. It's possible. It could be just the, like in Norse myth, Ymir is slain by Odin, Vili, and V, and mm-hmm. they make the world out of him.
0: Yeah, his bones become the the, the yeah. structure of the world.
1: What if when Yashiraj died, his his you know they say that the saying you know you see your your life flashes before your eyes when you die. Mm -hmm. When, when you're torn apart by a titan maybe you like there's a moment where you slip into a reverie and that reverie is what silas Darkmoon has tapped into maybe he can reach it because he has found a chunk of yasharaj and he's built a carnival on it and that's how he can reach this dreamland like the dreamland of unknown kadath and lovecraft maybe there's a dreamland that is just old god dreams
0: and it would explain. Um, it would explain a lot of the really vile and weird things that happen on that island. Like, yep. The killer bunny aside, like that's a thing, sure. Or that weird wolf thing. The weird wolf thing. The weird food that you can find out there. The the trees. The way the landscape is is twisted and gnarled.
1: It's like a parody. It looks a little bit like throws.
0: It l- really does. Like it, one of the cool. Like do the um the fire wing. Uh, quest it's next time the dark moon fares up, it shoots you up in the air and you fly around, but like take a couple seconds and just look and you could see some, like the Island just does not look right. The only thing that I would absolutely love, and I don't think anybody has done this is I would love to see what the Island actually looks like from a full aerial view uh, high up, like we can see the rest of the continents on a map, we don't have a map really necessarily of the Dark Moonfair Island. I would love if somebody could no clip or something like that up all the way and see what the island actually looks like from above, because I'm curious if there's a, a hidden meaning in the shape of it or something along those lines. But it is a spooky place. It is definitely a weird place, and it's always had a sort of dark vibe to it for as long as the game has existed. Our next question, and probably our final one, comes from Ishtel. Uh, Here's one for Little Watch. We know the store mounts have in the past teased next expansions. People have been reading into this with the Sapphire Skyblazer and now the new Furline mount. One theory I've seen is that these mounts hint at Loon Skyblazer, and Anshi, Furline. My question is, what do we know about Anshi? Seems like very little. What can we speculate based on what we've learned about loon in Shadowlands, and how might Anshi factor into, the, into a light-centered expansion? Matt, what do we know about Anshi?
1: Almost nothing. Uh, we know that the Toran believe in him. Um, the, we know, the, we know that it's Tor- represented as the sun. Yeah, the Toran represented him as the sun. And in the Toran mytho- mythology, uh, he is the right eye of the Earth Mother and the, and the twin brother of Musha, the, the moon. And that's not something, for instance, the night elves don't believe that the night elves, if they don't have never talked about the sun, they have no particular bent towards it. The, obviously the high elves that became the blood elves were quite into the sun, but they were into the sun and it's a rejection of the moon. Mm -hmm. They didn't deify it. They just, you know, venerated it. They didn't talk about it as an entity. The, the Torin have myths about it. Uh, first off, they believe that the Earth Mother ripped her own eyes out because of the corruption of the quote unquote old ones that were like, that was like trapped poisoning the of, land
0: trapped inside yeah. of her. Yeah.
1: yeah, they were poisoning the land and turning the, 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 the Shuhalo, the people away from what they should be. Now, if this is some kind of mythological representation of what the Mogu did, I don't know but it is what they believe. Um Anshe and Musha both orbited the world in in this, you know, version of it, both chasing around, you know, exposing the darkness, uh finding each other. They were they were essentially the sorrow of the planet. They were the, the Earth mother's regret, her lamentation for her children. Um but in terms of like what they, you know, it, it's hard to say. We know that torn priests can touch the light. Yeah. I mean they it works. We know that they, there's
0: Toran paladins, there's sunwalkers. Yeah.
1: And they again, they 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 pray to Anshe and they get something. It, it's they're answered. Okay. Is it just the holy light answering? Um I don't know the answer to that question.
0: But I mean look at the Yangal. Look at the Yangal mm-hmm. with their fire callers. They they call upon essentially a primal form of it, right? They, they call on yeah. the heat of light. It's it's fascinating. Like I actually really like the torn mythology and it's something that I wish would get more time, like I was expecting to get more of it when we had Legion and we were finally getting to the High Mountains. We got far less of it than I expected. It got uh, we got almost nothing from the we High did. Mountains. Yeah, we got almost nothing of it, and I figured they would have been the ones most most likely to actually be able to present some of this as they're closer to base torn. I guess, um, but like there are certain aspects of it that I think are absolutely fascinating. Like when they talk about how the elements started revolving around. Anshi and Musha, uh, where they sort of like had their certain lands that they called home. Where Anshi was more kin to the mountains and the deep places that had fire, because fire was close to the the heat of light that Anshi provided, and Musha uh, brought themselves closer to uh, the 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 waters and the tides, um, and sort of like the cool light, the the soothing light. Um, and then how the two grew and sort of became sparring partners, where they would each have different aspects of them, with Anchi is often represented as one-wielding twin blades, which... Nobody else in Toran culture does, so that that's fascinating. Is that why they don't? They tend to to gravitate more towards blunt weaponry. Why they also tend to not really be dual wielders. Um, if they're using two hands, they tend to be thumping things with giant totems. Um, and then you have Musha, who is represented with the the bow and arrow, which is. You know, pretty on point, especially when you start going towards the Night Elf uh, aspect of that. With
1: And for the fact that the moon becomes a crescent at night. Yep. I mean, cert- at certain points in the month, the moon is a crescent, which looks like a bow.
0: Yep. So, I mean, th- I would love to see Anshi explored more because I think it's a fascinating tale. And I don't think any other race on Azeroth really has anything tied to it.
1: I, I'm so glad you said that because you're wrong.
0: That's That's fine
1: the Zandalari troll paladins draw on the power of Razan, right?
0: They do, yes. But they
1: don't attribute it to Razan. It's the glory of the sun. If you oh, look at Oh, you're right. If you look at the uh platform on Atal'dazar, the tomb sun. of the first king, it's a big sun. Razan is the loa of kings, but he's the loa of kings, but he wasn't always. We we've seen that loa's of kings can die and be replaced.
0: And they're replaced by another Loa who had an aspect, and that aspect is just raised to deification. Only they become the Loa of kings.
1: Yeah. Huh. So it's it's possible that under like these various Loa, we also have seen that Loa can can enter into relationships with other beings that kind of serve as mentors to them. It's possible that the entity that the the Torin call Anche served as the mentor to Razan. Much as Muizala served as the mentor to, to Baron, uh, I want to say Sam David. That's not his name. Wan Samdi. Samdi, thank you. Uh, so it's very possible that there's a there's a solar deity that to the Torren is Anshay, and to the trolls is the being that sponsored Razan. and that being might come into play because we still know that the Zandalari still have paladins, despite Razan being gone, and it's not Wan Samdi who's giving them their power. Where are they getting it? Yeah. They're, they're getting it from the sun. They tell you it's the glory of the sun that implies something. Uh, one of the things that I find fascinating too, uh, like I mentioned before that the, that the piles really were into the sun. Um, but keep in mind that it's, it's not just Well, I said it was like they venerate it, but they don't deify it. However, keep in mind that the death sunstrider had a vision of the sun that made him, the, gave him the ability to craft fellow Malorn, the flame sword flame strike, and they 'd use the sun all the time the eternal sun guides us is something they say all the time
0: the, the well it's, is called the sun well
1: yeah, and it 's the opposite of you know the 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 well that Alun goes into and comes out of moon wells it, it might actually be that if you go back into night elf culture before the sundering there, you know, there might have been a much more elaborate religious life that we don't, we just don't know about.
0: They could have had multiple gods. They could have had a multi yeah. a much more a much more diversified uh and worship and structure. And yeah. you know,
1: one of the problems is when when they started, you know, vener f- f- I mean, keep in mind too that we're talking about a people who are descended from trolls. Yeah. And we just got done talking about how the trolls had loa that were clearly taking power from the sun. The trolls that became night elves were were night trolls. You know, they were dark trolls. They weren't the same as most other to- most of most the trolls are sun worshippers, for lack of a better word. they they love the day. They're not nighttime beings like the night elves are. But the night elves come from the one group that was a nighttime, you know, they they spit, they were nocturnal. And that's interesting because it, it has implications for what the night elves might have believed before they believed, you know, solely in a loon. It, it it's much the same as like in Earth religion, you can actually see a point where certain religions went from polytheistic to monotheistic, mm-hmm. and they didn't they didn't get there by starting out rejecting all other gods. They started out saying, yeah, there are other gods, but this god is ours. And that could be what happened to the night elves, that they had a bunch of different gods, but Elune was the one that they worshipped because Elune was the one that they saw. You know, they're nocturnal people. The moon is the light they hunt by. The moon is everything to them because it's the one that they see. It's the one that helps them hunt. It's the one that keeps them alive. You know, when, when a loon's missing, then it's not, you know. Also, there's there's
0: another, there's another aspect to that too, that I think is also kind of interesting. Going back to the nitrile thing, nitriles were transformed into night elves. The moon goes through a transformation process in a cycle. Like, it, the sun does not. The sun is constant. The sun is one thing. and and It just rises and sets. It rises and sets. The moon goes through phases, whether it's the full moon, the new moon, the crescent moon, the waxing moon, the waning moon. Like, it it represents a level of change that may have been something very close to them because they themselves went through a level of change that maybe trolls wouldn't have seen before that. And so, like, there there could be something there for that.
1: And we know that there's, like... Today there's like one dark troll left uh who is like the speaker for her people and she lives in uh Zandalar. Uh, and she's the yeah. only one lord yeah yeah and and uh speaker ikanal i believe yeah i just looked her up that's her all right cool i found her that's like so there's that one dark troll left and the rest of them are descended the ones you know it just it is fascinating to me to think of like this this whole thing we, there's so much that we don't know we know that for instance Anduin Rin, who I don't trust, remember, um, had a theory that you know Anche was just a, a representation of the Holy Light in Torah mythology. What if both Anche and Musha are, and that's literally what Alun is—is a being that is like a manifestation of the light, like the light as a being, yeah. the light as—and that means Anche might be too, uh, and that might mean that they—that's why they're not Naru or anything like that, because they are literally the light. There there's a lot to this that we could, you know, find out about, but I've been rambling for a bit so we should probably go.
0: Yeah, and I think that's going to do it for us today folks uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue and a at-free site experience uh, as a reminder all of us at Blizzard Watch stand with the employees of Activision Blizzard in demanding change for a better tomorrow and a safer work environment and as one last parting thought if you do have questions for us for this podcast or any of our other ones uh, be sure to go ahead and send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com or one of our many discord channels dedicated to answering your questions and make sure that you specify which show it is for so with that folks thank you very much for listening to us matt thank you for another wonderful week and we'll see you next week remember pumpkins